1: price picks will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars just visit prizepickscom slash play 100 and use code play 100 that's code play 100 at pricepicks.com slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars price picks daily fantasy sports made easy hello this is international football commentator Derek ray and you're listening to the ranks fc podcast
0: rank squad and welcome to ranks fc it's your favorite football podcast back for another week and back with a twist this week as we look forward to the biggest event of this summer the women's world cup takes place in australia and new zealand it starts on Thursday the 20th of July with New Zealand playing that first game and Australia following them very very soon afterwards my name is Jack Collins and I'm here to take a look through that World Cup with the brilliant Minna Ibrahim Minna, it's so good to have you on the channel for those of you that don't know Mina she is a bit across everything in the world of football her channel Mina Football on YouTube she works with the Athletics she's been on Sky Sports News Football Daily versus United View TV for those of you who are have a red persuasion from manchester minna it's delight to have you back
2: Nice, it's nice it's nice i think the last time i was on this was like three years ago talking about paul pogba so it's, it's been a long time
0: <laughs> we've had a yeah, it's been a wild ride for paul pogba and for for both of us at that time so it's um it's great to have you back and i'm excited to to talk about all these bits and bobs with you look this is the first women's world cup with 32 teams that comes with its own challenges, it comes with the challenges of being broadcast from an area of the world which doesn't necessarily line up time-wise and, and time zone-wise with the US and the UK. There's lots of logistical bits and bobs, but how excited are you for this tournament?
2: Oh, I'm actually really excited because I really think this, this could be the Lionesses' year. Obviously, we're going to talk about that more in detail. But like you said, even with all the logistics, all the different changes, the the VAR, is going to be a very, I think, difficult... Um, World Cup because there's a lot of off the pitch issues with a lot of countries and a lot of federations and a lot of players and a lot of those issues deserve to be addressed. Um, I saw today um, the Lionesses said that they, you know, they've had an issue with um, pay and bonuses with the FA and they've put that on hold just to focus on the World Cup. So we know what their priorities are, but that should have been sorted a long way before the World Cup. And not just that, you know, countries like Nigeria have issues with their federation. Jamaica has issues with their federation. Canada has issues with their federation. So there's a lot of off the pitch distractions that could also maybe impact the players. But I still think it could be a great World Cup.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of drama on the pitch. I mean, the drama off the pitch is much less enjoyable from a, from a viewing perspective. But the drama on the pitch, I think it promises a lot. So we're going to look at this in a couple of different ways, trying to get a kind of baseline level of, of the players and teams that people need to be watching out for as the World Cup begins. So we're going to look through the favourites, then we're going to look through a little bit of the wildcard dark horses in this tournament. And then we're going to finish in part two by talking about a variety of the players who you need to be keeping an eye on. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'm going to hand this to you. We're going to start with the favourites of this tournament and we'll go we we'll 3-2-1. Go I think that's probably the best way to do this.
2: 3-2-1. I think, I think third is quite obvious. I think 2-1 and one could actually be interchangeable depending on who you ask but for me number three I think is Spain I think they are playing the tournament with a chip on their shoulder another country that has had issues um off the pitch um you know comeback of important players will be at the competition they're going to look at Germany France etc other European giants and think that they deserve to be up there on the table when it comes to you know competing with the best of the best so for that reason I put Spain at number three. It was a diff- difficult one to pick um, because, to be honest, I was leaning more towards Germany. But, you know, the more that I've prepared for the World Cup, um, read about it, followed the teams leading up to the competition, I think Spain are coming into the competition with something to prove. So for that reason, Spain's my number three.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're a really interesting side. and And I think it's impossible to discuss them without kind of working out exactly where they are. Because late last year, we had, 15 or so of the Spain national side who decided they're going to lay down their red shirts in protest against Jorge Vilda and the backroom staff. Um, And then obviously a whole group of players have come in to basically get them through the qualification campaign and and some of the other games. And then suddenly it feels like a few more have come back. Three of the, the most important if you will, players that, that were missing, Marione Caldente, Aitana Bonmati, and Abache, it feels like they're returning. And so where we're kind of stuck here with Spain is that they're not at the full strength capacity that they might really want to be. And yet it feels like slowly and surely the players are come back. But is there going to be that tension between those who stood up and took their chance while this re- rebellion, if you will, was going on? And then those who are now walking back into it, you know, Poteas is back in the fold, Paredes is back in the fold, Hermoso is back in the fold. It's a really strange sort of discipline between those who stuck by the coach and those who have had to kind of withdraw and go back to it.
2: Yeah, I think it's a very, it's a sensitive matter. I think it's a, a big sense. When you look at, for example, France, who managed to out... Their own manager and bring in a new manager ahead of the competition, which kind of created a less hostile environment for the players to come into this tournament well prepared. Obviously, there's been issues with the French Football Federation and the players, and they weren't able to solve it to maximum capabilities, but they were able to solve it to a point where it's a middle ground between the federation and the players. I think Spain is a it's a it's a it's a different, I think it's a different situation for them. Um, but I think. If you talk about off the if you don't talk about off the pitch issues and we just focus on the players, we focus on the quality of the players. They've got world class players across multiple positions. So I definitely think that they're able to compete with the other big countries. I think you look at France, Germany, you know the USA, um, England, Australia. Honorable mention for them. I think Spain can actually go toe to toe with every single country on that list.
0: Yeah, I mean. Something that's been kind of bugging me around Spain is there's, there's obviously lots of different bits about it, but Patri is still not there and, and she's a player that I've loved watching for Barcelona. But last summer, there was all this sort of issue around Spain's number nine role and who was going to step up and play in that number nine role. And eventually, Amoir got her opportunity, um, the Real Sociedad forward. And when she played, she was excellent. Uh, she she really shone in, in those moments and it felt like, OK, Spain are back. They have a number nine. They went with Esther Gonzalez again. Obviously, there are now players in this whole, Jenny Hermoso, who, who missed that last tournament. Fine, there's, there's there's options. But it does feel like she's a big miss still because her dynamism, you know, you look at her record. She's got 12 and 15 for Spain. And, and that's, you know, not even going into what she's been doing at domestic level. It seems like they're blessed with options. And yet, there still doesn't seem to be all that much cohesion in the side.
2: I mean... Dare I link it? But it could also be linked. I'm not sure if you followed recently the recent controversy, controversy with the Spain national team um, upon arrival at the World Cup. It's not even funny. I, they were mocking um, the hacker in the you know welcome event that was. Um, done for for all the countries arriving and it took them about three days to issue an apology I think yesterday evening uh, their captain the Spanish captain issued an, an apology in you know the the press conference leading up to the competition and I think when you think about the issues they're having within themselves then you factor in the issues that they're having externally it could be a complete mental collapse for them because they've got outside noise where I know people in New Zealand have not reacted positively to this. Um, Some have, as they they have every right to, Um, I would too, I would absolutely too. So you'd have that outside noise. Then you have the inside noise that they're kind of um, battling with. Um, That's two major things that could absolutely, I would not be, I know I've put them as number three in terms of my favorites, but if you come to me in about two weeks and say to me that Spain have crashed out in the group stages, I would definitely factor in these stuff. I would absolutely. Yeah. But I think that they are experienced enough. I think that there's enough world-class talent across the pitch um, and there's a, enough experience for them to bypass all of that and have a long run in the competition, especially when you look at you know, teams like England that weren't always known on the international stage to be going toe-to-toe with the big teams. It was always you know, the USAs and the Brazils and whatnot. But now England are trying to have a slice of that pie Spain can't afford to let another country come into it um, without them trying to dominate. Mm,
0: yeah, it's gonna be it be interesting. They might well end up on England's side of the draw, which is which is something that we can we can keep an eye on. Uh, I think uh, as this develops. Let's go to number two, then, shall we?
2: Number two. I know. I know some of the listeners might not be happy. Um, I'm gonna go with USA. I'm gonna go with USA. Wow. I know they're they're a, they're a big favourite for a lot of people. Um, if you had asked me this time. If you asked me last year before the Euros who my favorites would be for the World Cup, I would have said the USA, but um, I think that might give away my number one. I think that (laughs) kind of gives away who I put at number one, but I do think USA are a force to be reckoned with. There's a few players that I like, one of whom we're gonna discuss later in the episode. Um, They've won it four times, reigning champions. There's absolutely no reason USA should not be in the final. There's there's absolutely no reason unless, It's the external factors that get to the players. But I feel like all the players going to the World Cup are experienced enough to kind of like block out outside noise and just fully like engage. I know a lot of countries have had their training camps starting from the beginning of July in Australia and New Zealand because of the time zone difference, the weather difference. They flew in a lot earlier in comparison to other tournaments. Um, So I feel like if USA are not in the final come August 20, I will be shocked.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if they win their group, and that's not given, given, given the group that they've been drawn into, but it feels like that if they do win that, they'll end up on the side of the draw that should be favor far more favourable, yeah. and that that's it. I mean, the Netherlands are in that group; they're they're a good side without being exceptional i think portugal are in that group that they're an okay side and um, we've seen vietnam just be absolutely dismantled by spain in their last game before the world cup so i'm not expecting all that much uh, and that's who the us will play in their opener but it feels like a bit of a strange point for the usa in that this is a team that have a lot of players who have you know won the last World Cup, who've won back-to-back World Cups, who are, are you know, defending a, a, a crown here. And yet it feels like a very different side from the one that w- was so dominant four years ago. And, and I think that that's an interesting kind of place because they played at the, the Olympics in Tokyo, they came third, and suddenly it felt like, okay, right, do we need new ideas? And this is what I mean, 14 of this side have never been to a World Cup before. You know, back in 2019, I think that was 10 or 11. Um, but even the ones who have gone and who are there, there are questions over, you know, the fitness of, of Julie Ertz, who's just been recalled back into this side. Megan rapino who, who went off injured in the NWSL recently. Rose Lavelle, who hasn't played since April, if I'm not mistaken. There's a lot going on here that you're like, ooh, are the old school starting to filter out and are the new school good enough to step up?
2: Definitely. I think this is a moment for... The the younger players. I think this World Cup will be a World Cup of younger players. I think I'm not an ageist, but you know, people under the ages of twenty-three, maybe even twenty-one, this will be the tournament for them to shine. And and you know, they've got the experience of Sophia Smith, who I think is a phenomenal player, one of yeah, my young players to watch at the competition. I think they've got um defensive rookie if, if you want to call it, I wouldn't say she's a rookie person. She's a rookie because she's in her first year of her career, but I don't think she's a rookie in terms of her attributes and, you know, her abilities um, and, and whatnot in uh, Naomi Gilman. So I think the younger players would definitely have to step up, but, you know, there's absences, like you said, in, in some characters, because there's one thing having that ability on the pitch. And then there's the dressing room influence and, um, you know, the the ability to have experience and lead, for example, for those younger players. So it's finding that right balance of missing in missing players from injury, but also younger players really stepping up, you know, to take this opportunity. This is some of their first World Cups. It won't be their last. I'm sure they will look at other players who are now going on to play in their sixth tournament and think, yeah, I want to be like that. But, in order to be like that, they definitely have to step up to the task. Um, and that's one thing. And I think another thing will be fans. I think fans will play a big part of it. Um, you consider the distance and the time zone various variance sorry, between USA and Australia and New Zealand. And they're like a whole practically 24 hours ahead of yeah. USA. So you consider the, the fans not only watching watching USA at home, but how many fans will be flying across you know all the the Atlantic and all the other oceans to get over there. I don't think it will be as much as closer countries. So I think that's another factor to play into it. But from everyone I've spoken to, everything I've read, all the all the you know videos I've watched, USA, regardless of what position they're in, they will always be favorites at a World Cup. It does not. It 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 really doesn't matter. I'm just being a bit biased by putting them. <laughs>
0: I think this is it, They're, you know, back to back champions and, you know, going for a third straight, going for their fifth World Cup. I think the worst they've ever finished in a World Cup is third. You know, it's not it's not a it's not a record that anyone's going to is going to shun. And so I think that what's interesting about this is where if there is gaps in the armour for between the two generations and if that, that there is kind of a seamless linking of the younger players, with the older heads, more experienced heads, you'd imagine Alex Morgan is going to start through the middle. Does that shift Sophia Smith out wide? Lots of questions about all of these things. And yet, every time the States turn up at a World Cup, they're favourites. So that's just how it is. I do think that the gap is smaller between the sides, you know, that, that we've seen recently. And and I suppose that's probably why your number one is where it is.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. And I think I lean more towards putting, you know, my number one as my number one because of, their most recent former uh, and their manager and a lot of off the pitch reasons and on the pitch uh, reasons as well. But like I said, if you had asked me this a year and a half ago, I would have said USA will be my favourites. And even coming into this episode, I was really weighing it up, thinking USA or my other number one, USA or my other number one. And I just went with them. But I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if come final day of the World Cup, USA are in the finals. Um it would be no surprise to me. They have the ability on the pitch. Um, they have, they have the the demeanor. I feel like even, you know, we talk about a lot of countries being debutants in, in the World Cup. Anybody that comes up against USA in any game will always feel threatened. It doesn't matter yeah. who, it doesn't matter who you are, you will feel threatened by the USA coming up against them. And then on a World Cup stage is a whole different story. When you've got one or two debutants in your in your ta- in your group and you're going to cruise through that then you're going to get an easy, easy... I'm not saying they get an easy route to the final, but it will be a given if they top their table. And that's what they should aim to do because they're one of the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you're right. There are no easy games at a World Cup. You have to win seven games and you win a tournament. Fine. But there is definitely a softer side of the draw. And I think that you could look at England's men's team in the last, not this last World Cup, the World Cup before that, to suggest that Perfect, the, exactly. you know, the softer side of the draw can benefit you and get you to places where maybe it looks a little bit different. And so I think the US will probably, probably kick on from that. But I, I'd imagine it means you think they're coming up against a final against this side. Who are your number one?
2: My number one is none other than the Lionesses. There is, a lot of people might say I'm biased if they're listening to this. But I have my reasons. Um, I have my reasons. And an England-USA final, I think, is what people would want. Um, but I think it would depend on how both of them finish in the group stages. England, England have a okay group but not every game is a guaranteed three points so I think that's something they take into mind you know they've they've finished semi-finals twice in the last two competitions of the world cup so if they do not go out bow out at the semis there's no improvement from the last world cup because that's where they bowed out then I think the only way that they improve on their last tournament is if they go to the final and they win it other other than that it might be a disappointing competition. I might be putting a lot on their shoulders, but the way that I see it is if you if you bow out two semifinals in a row, you can't do another third semifinal and lose. You have to you have to get past that hurdle. Um, and I feel like number one, being Euro champions, that's one thing that works in their favor. They come into the competition with a bit of swagger, similar to the US. The US come in as reigning champions, so they kind of like, you know brushing it off their shoulders and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the USA. The, e- England need to be the same. They need to come into the competition with that swagger. Not cockiness, but it's confidence. I think Serena Wiegman, amazing manager. I think she's an amazing coach. I think, you know, the achievements from the England national team over the last 18 months is a testament to the kind of coach that she is. I think there's factors that we take in. You know, Leah Williamson is going to be missing. Beth Mead will be missing. But I think Serena Weidman has been able to include players that, yes, they will feel the absence of Williamson and Beth Mead, but they've taken players that are in good form. I think a big part of it is how you come into the competition on form. Um, you know, they've got Beth England, first World Cup, absolute yeah. great scoring form in the WSL when she went on loan to Tottenham Hotspurs in January. Rachel Daly, Top goal scorer of the WSL. She was playing as a fullback at one time. In I was her gonna career.
0: say, I was gonna say, not not laying left back like the Euros, you'd assume.
2: She was literally playing left back last year. This year she's playing up front, top goal scorer for Aston Villa, and she's an absolute nuisance. Any defender will tell you she's a nuisance, not only in the box, but even outside of the box. Her ability to drop deeper, link up with the midfielders, etc. But also I think another important part is the bench. I think we saw it with the Euros, the ability to bring on the likes of Chloe Kelly, scored the winner in the Euros, um, Ella Toon, Alicia Russo, the impact subs, the super subs, if you want to call it. They are England are missing a few players, but I think, you know, the depth that they have across the 22, 23 women's squad is phenomenal, especially because of some of these players have come into the tournament in great club form. I think for me, the the biggest player or the most important player for the tournament that we, I think if anything, even Kira Walsh, I didn't even mention Kira Walsh. Um, <laughs> anything that England do will go through her. Um, you know, she's, she's that midfield maestro, but I think for me, the most important player coming into the tournament and she will really show up, I think is Lauren James. I think she's easily one of the most technically gifted players for England um, still young, still quite raw in some of her attributes, but one on one, no defender would want to come across her. Um so I think she's she's got she's she's got that that source, she's got that swagger. I think Lauren Hemp, another great player. I feel like the depth that England have across, you know, every position is amazing. And 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 I didn't even mention they have the great the best goalkeeper in women's football right now. And that's yeah, I mean,
0: of. there's so much going on. There's so much going on for the Lionesses. and But I'm intrigued. There, there's kind of two sides to this. One of it is, as you say, the fact that this, this squad is so deep. And I think what's been really interesting is seeing Carol Walsh go to Barcelona, seeing Georgia Stanway go to Bayern Munich and doing different things as they come into the prime of their careers. You know, being able to, to move out of the WSL and experience that European style. It, I have no doubt that both of them start. Every single time that they're available to start, because that feels like the base from which England build now who plays alongside them isn't quite as as obvious, I think, at this point, but there's so much talent in this side and. There are, there are injuries. And, and as you say, you know, the, the Leo Williamson injury is, is massive, not only captain of this side, but very much a rock at the back. Millie Bright, I don't think he's going to be fit for this first game. So it's going to be interesting to see how she, you know, develops and, and plays that out coming back from a relatively serious injury. We see they're missing the likes of Frank Kirby, Jess Park. Fine. But what is good about this is that Serena Vigman plays a very obvious system. And I think this is something, you know, we, we read about and we talk about and there's lots of discussions around this. Does that make it easier for teams to slot back in? You know, does it make it easier that other players come in and have a very obvious place in which to play? And, and, you know, there are rotations in this side. You mentioned Lauren James there. Does she start or does Chloe Kelly start? And does that matter? You know, they're able to do similar jobs and you're able to rotate and it doesn't necessarily take anything away from this England team.
2: Yeah, I think with the Lauren James, Chloe Kelly argument is is interesting because I think Lauren James would start. Chloe Kelly, I think, is the perfect player that you bring on against tired legs. The same argument can be made for Lauren James as well. That's why I was a bit shocked that Nikita Paris was left behind because I think the season that she's had with Manchester United, she's proven that not only through her experience can she drag her team through, but she's also a problem for, for fullbacks, especially tired legs. So I was shocked that Nikita Paris was left behind. Then the Leah Williamson part is 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 an interesting one because you look at the back line that we have, and whether or not Millie Bright starts or or not for the opening game, I'm I'm, I think England will be okay without her for the for the beginning phase. I think what they'll be missing is the leadership qualities. But that's another reason why I was shocked that Maya Lattisier was left left out of the England team again. Not only is she a t- talented centre back, her ability to play passes through you know, from a, from the backline position is something that England England could easily utilise from, you know, whether they're, they're against a low block team, whether they're coming up across, you know, um, a team that are pressing and it's difficult to pass through the lines. Having a centre-back that's able to so confidently play balls that we've seen her do time and time again for Manchester United in, in the past WSL season, I was quite shocked to see her leave. People might say I'm being a biased United fan by mentioning the United fans that have been left behind, but... Even if we talk about Beth England, I think her involvement will be interesting. In the run-up to the World Cup, we've seen that she has not been involved that much in friendlies. I think she's a different type of striker to Rachel Daly. I think even Alicia Russo probably won't be in the starting lineup. I think she will be a bench option. But if I'm looking at the England team and this it's the, you know, quarter finals and it's one-one, who will I look to on the bench to to provide me? a goal-scoring threat out of Beth England and Alicia Russo, it's more likely I would lean towards Beth England because she's just a pure striker. She's, you know, if you watch the WSL this season for for Spurs, even though they were having a difficult season, she was scoring record number goals for her career um, in a team that was fighting relegation until about the last two weeks of the season. Alicia Russo changes her game a little bit. We've seen it with Manchester United. It'll be interesting to see how we see it with Arsenal. But she's the type of striker that likes to drift wide, likes to come deep. And I think in the World Cup, you just need pure shooters, you know, especially in that front line. When you've got wingers like Lauren Hemp, Lauren James, who will be cutting in, who will be going one for one against their fullback, you need someone in that that box that's just going to get on the end of whatever goes into the box. So I think for that reason, it'll be interesting to see how the starting lineup goes. We know that Serena Wiegman doesn't like to change her starting yeah. eleven. She had the same starting eleven throughout the entire Euros. Um, so I anticipate that... Whoever starts on uh, match day one, come Saturday, I think that might be the starting eleven, as long as there's no injuries throughout the tournament.
0: Let me ask you then, who do you think starts... I, I'm going to assume that Millie Bright's out, and obviously Leah Williamson is out. Does Alex Greenwood come in as left centre-back? And where does that leave the rest of the back for?
2: I'm still salty that Maya Letizia was left home. If, <laughs> if you ask me this, as she was actually... Um, if she was called up, I'd say it would be Maya, but I think it would be Greenwood. I think with the World Cup, experience is key. That's why I even feel like maybe Lauren James might not get the shine that I think she will get. um I think experience will be key, so I think Greenwood will will probably start.
0: Okay, righty Well, there's England. There they are, men favourites to win the World Cup. This will come back to bite it's very me. Very exciting. I
2: know this. Yeah, will come yeah, yeah. Well.
0: It's okay. It's okay to have these opinions. Look, this is the reigning European champions. They are a serious unit. They've lost their first ever game under Serena Wigman recently to Australia. And even that was a rotated squad and probably a good thing for this yeah. England team in that they don't feel invincible going into this. I think it's a perfectly reasonable shout at, at this point. If there was a dominant force somewhere else I would be like mm, maybe not but I don't think there is in the way that there has been in recent years I'm really intrigued by this France side I think I would have I, I would have maybe had them in in my list and obviously as we we kind of alluded to in the Spain segment that move that saw the previous manager removed and Eve Renard has come back in he's brought back some of the old guard Wendy Renard's back Eugenie De Sommers back there's a lot of really interesting characters but I think the big one is is Henri who comes back into the middle there and it just feels like France have gone backwards in uh, or taken a couple of steps backwards just to reset and I don't mean that in a negative sense or, or going backwards in terms of progression I mean that they've just gone okay maybe we just got rid of a few faces too early and I think that maybe they've got a point to prove they've got a chip on their shoulder and in Renard they have a man who has done some miracles in both the men's and women's game at international level that I'm really excited about having a look at as well. Right, after the break, we're going to be talking about some dark horses. Don't go anywhere. It's well hot out there, Rank Squad, and so there's no better time to stay hydrated. Whether that's kicking a ball around with your mates at side or bopping around your favourite festival, the golden rule is that hydration is key. Whether it's prepping beforehand, in the thick of the action, or recovering afterwards, you can stay hydrated with Liquid IV. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. I've started using this stuff on Monday nights down at Fiverside, and after all the big weekends have dotted my summer landscape, and I tell you, it's a joy. You don't keep your skin looking this good by accident. Arriving in convenient little sachets, it's quick and easy to use, and the acai berry flavor gives it that extra summer joy for me. But if that doesn't float your boat, there's 11 other flavors for you to try in your rotation. And if you're looking for the science, well, Liquid IV contains five different essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and that big old vitamin C hit to boot. On top of that, you're doing your bit for some good causes. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world, and so they partner with leading organizations worldwide for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. You can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code RANKSFC at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code RANKSFC at liquidiv.com. Welcome back to RANKSFC. We're looking at the Women's World Cup. I'm here with Mina Ibrahim, and we're talking now about some dark horses. I'm going to hand the floor back to you, Mina.
2: So number three for my dark horses, not because I like their kit for the World Cup, but it's <laughs> Japan. I think Japan will be a dark horse But their kit is sick. It's amazing. I always, I always look forward to the kits that Japan produce for their tournaments because they're always nice kits.
0: Yeah, agreed. agreed.
2: for me, um, yeah, Japan, dark horse for me, have a player that I think is going to be very key for them in terms of in their midfield in Hasegawa. Um, I think for quite some time, it's interesting with the Japan national team, I feel like in women's football particularly, they look at Japan as a as a softer side in comparison to the physicality of you know the likes of colombia maybe um you know the likes of england usa brazil france etc but i do think japan who have an interesting group they have a group they can definitely get out of i think they will be my they will be my underdogs
0: yeah i mean it's also it's obviously not a home world cup but it's in the time zone it's travelable the japanese fans always travel well to, to, to international tournaments and i think what you said there about the physicality of it is something that we've seen shown, kind of at by Japan uh, men's tournaments as well, right? That's just something that's often leveled at them as a nation, and yet they seem to just belie those expectations time and time again.
2: A hundred percent, and like you said, I think fans' time zone big part. That's why for me, you know, when I was talking about USA, I thought that might be a factor to to play into, and you know, we've seen it with uh, the men's national team. They travel to Qatar. They travel in their numbers it's, it's not a secret and th- I think one thing that Japan are struggling with right now is the support for women's football so I think that could be a hindrance to it but that's a similar, a similar issue that a lot quite a few countries are actually facing when you think about you know some other debutants other debutants in in the World Cup such as Morocco etc are struggling with supporting their women's national team as much as as you know, they support the men's team. So I think that's one thing, but I feel like across their starting 11 and and just the the moment I feel like when you come into a competition and you're not the favorites, uh, but you're also not the team that people expect to get battered. I think you find a, a middle level um, to kind of find yourself in. And I think that's where, that's where Japan find themselves.
0: Yeah, it's been a bit of a strange period. Obviously they won the World Cup in 2011. They got to the final in 2015 both games, both finals against the US. Um, and the second one was, was, was a real kind of hammering in the end. But it felt like that was a real golden era of, of Japanese women's football. And since then, it's, it's been a little bit, you know, it's all started to go a little bit downhill. But these things come around again, and it does feel like they're building rather than on the on the decline, which is a nice place to be.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it's even evidence in players that they've left behind. They left behind Mane Iwabuchi,
0: which yeah. a
2: lot of people were shocked to see that she was left behind um especially because of she wasn't in great form throughout you know the last season but that's another thing that i think kind of cements the the, the route that japan are heading towards they're heading towards not a, it's not like they're rebuilding coming into this competition but they're definitely leaving behind players that you know in the past would probably have gone to 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 the world cup and i feel like that sets a good kind of mentality within the team it's kind of like you perform during your regular season, you get you get awarded for it. So maybe the next World Cup players will kind of go in, you know, go into it. Um the prior season before the World Cup, sorry, they'll go into it thinking I need to be in form because otherwise I'm getting left behind at the World Cup. So that's I think that's that's a good way to look at it because if you look at other teams who probably would have risked a spot for a player who's not in form and left behind someone maybe less experienced at international tournaments, I don't lean towards that. Uh, but I do think Japan have something for for, for for the football fans.
0: Yeah, agreed. I agree. I really like this as a pick because I think that this is a young side. I think there's a lot of kind of wild cards in here. And a lot of people are really excited about Oba Fugino. Like there's there's a lot going on. And, and I think that there's plenty of fun to be had. And, and as you say, like this this group and the the kind of route that they've got, if they get going, it feels like they could really catch fire. And and I think that's a cool kind of place to be for a dark horse. So uh, I like that pick a lot. What's Who's at number two?
2: My number two is co-hosts Australia. Um, anywhere that Sam Kerr is, is a threat. I, as a United fan, know that for sure. Uh, just give it
0: to Kerr, eh? Yeah,
2: just kick the ball up and just let her deal with it. Seems like that's what Chelsea did quite a few times against United uh, this season. Um, it worked. But for that reason, um, I'm putting I'm putting Australia number two. I think being co-hosts, having home advantage is a major thing, especially when you're that far on the other side of the world. Um, you know, the stadiums are going to be full of, you know, locals. I think that's one factor. I even think that outside of Sam Kerr, I think they have a relatively decent number of players that can support her. Obviously she will be the star of the team. Like many other teams who have that one or two superstar. She's the face of women's football on this side of the world. I don't think there's anybody that can like you can't mention women's football in England and not mention Sam Kerr. You can't mention women's football in Europe and not mention Sam Kerr. You can't mention women's football globally and not mention Sam Kerr. Not just, you know, talking about her commercial Um, likeability but even her as a player I think every back line that she comes against will have problems Um, whether it's her taking a shot from 30 yards out whether it's her dribbling at a player whether it's a ball going over the top which we'll probably see a bit of coming from Australia a ball over the top to Sam Kerr with her speed nobody's catching her Um, so I think that for that reason and the group that they have they should be able to get out of the group and I think they will probably get to the knockout stages I'm just not sure what, what stage of the knockout stages they'll get to
0: yeah I, I think that so much depends on how much service they can give to her and and look there is obviously problems with an over reliance on a star player we've seen we've seen teams. You know, struggle with that at all levels and you look at that Chelsea team and yes Samka, I think is probably rightly so the, the ultimate star of that team she is one of the best players in the world and has been for some time but when you kind of look at it you go right who's bringing who's bringing the kind of service who's bringing the ammunition but actually the team that there is built around here feels like it's actually got a lot better in terms of dealing with with, with those kind of pressures. I really like Kyra Cooney-Cross in, in the centre of midfield. And Caitlin Ford up alongside her, has, you know, had another season for Arsenal where you go, right, yeah, a, a serious partner for her to be able to play off. And yes, Kerr feels like the, the talisman. But when all's said and done, there's more to this side than just her.
2: 100%. And even the group that they, they're drawn in, obviously, I mentioned home advantage, but I don't think there's a clear winner in their group because I think anybody it's, could,
0: its the Republic of Ireland It's
2: the Republic of Ireland <laughs> <laughs> um, I have I don't know I feel I have some hope for like the debutants in the World Cup I don't know why and I think you know Republic of Ireland Nigeria Canada Australia Australia is the most experienced they are the ranked the most highest I think out of the four of them but really and truly that group could actually go any way I've, I genuinely think that I think Canada um, could cause a problem um, I think Nigeria could cause a problem. Republic of Ireland. I'm going to leave you to answer that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it could be a problem. I'm not sure about it. No, I'm I'm really excited about this group, and I think that generally when you look at them, it's not. I don't. It's not going to be pretty, right? Verrapuff side aren't aren't going to be the nicest side to watch, but they are going to be incredibly hard to break down. There's going to be five at the back. There's going to be two sitting midfielders. Katie McCabe is going to be flying up and down at left wing back. How many times I can, can counter? Oh like I mean she might miss the, the the round if Ireland gets to the round sixteen back that katie McKay won't be playing um because she's getting a booking in each of her first three games, but like this is it, you know these are the the important things, and I think that team's going to find hard to break Ireland down. I really like this group, I think it's a really in entertaining group, I think it's a really exciting group and and there's plenty to to enjoy in it, you know, and look it's not going to be you'd expect Australia to get out of it. You expect Canada to get out of it. But I think the Republic of Ireland are a bit of an annoying side to play against at international level. And I'm really kind of intrigued by this Nigeria team And that they're heaps of fun, but I'm not 100% sure if they're any good. And that's kind of where I'm I'm left with it.
2: Yeah, that's why I'm saying that for me, Australia out of the four of them is, I think, I wouldn't say it's guaranteed for them to get out of the group. But, you know, it's the World Cup. Anything could happen. But you'd expect them to get out of out of that group quite confidently. You mentioned, you know, Nigeria, another country that has off the field issues with with their federation. Canada, another another country that has off the field um, issues, and Republic of Ireland debutants, the rookies of the group. It could go either way, but Australia for me, because they're at home, because they've got Sam because they've got a relatively easy group in comparison to our other um, top twenty five nations. I, I I give them my number two spot.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. And that leaves us with the number one, which I'm excited to hear.
2: My number one is none other than Norway. I think. Yes. They are a serious dark horse. Not only are they a dark horse, I think they are. They will make it the furthest out of the three that I mentioned. Um, okay. I would be shocked if they did not get as far as possible that they can. Um. You look at their group number one. They've got. A decent group, they've got New Zealand again. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be threatened by them, as even though they're co hosts uh, with ho- home field advantage. Um, they've got Switzerland, okay team, and then they've got Philippines, another debutant country. Um, you know, Norway have great players, I think, across you know that front line that they have. Um, I think a big part is having Vildebo Risa, who's just come off a decent season with Manchester United. Um, dictating that middle play, kind of that deep anchor yeah. midfielder that they kind of need. Not sure if they're playing two up top or one up top with, you know, three behind. Um, I think the formation is a bit still vague, but, you know, they've got Frieda Manum on the flanks. They've got Gura, um, Gura Riton, two great Chelsea players that are coming off a great season with Chelsea. Um, they've got, you know, Caroline Gray and Hansen, aka CGH, which a lot of people like to call her just won the Champions League with Barcelona, has 11 goals, six assists um, in, in the league coming into the World Cup. Like I said, with all the other countries that we spoke about, coming in on form is a very important thing. Um, it's not like the Qatar World Cup for the men where it's in the middle of the season. So it's kind of just like you're still playing football throughout the season. They, these people have had a break and then had to come back. Um, and pick up where they left off. So I think coming off a season from being in form, I think will be an important thing. I think going forward, they're a really interesting team to see how they play. You know, they've got got their main target in the middle. Then they've got their two wingers. They've got a deep-lying midfielder that can easily, you know, ping a ball 40, 50 yards across the pitch that can get forward, support defensively. But I think her best position that we've seen with Manchester United even is in that little eight role. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how Norway come out of it but looking at their group out of the three countries that I've I've listed as kind of like my dark horses I think they are the ones that I'm most confident in that will cruise through their group and possibly make a deep run into the competition.
0: Yeah and I think this side you, you look at it and obviously I think people have will remember that they lost 8-0 to England in the Euros which was one of the weirdest games of football I think I've ever watched. Um, Just the way that everything changed, you know, after the uh, the first couple of goals. But there's a new coach come in, the, the switch of formation that's just allowed them to... Just be a little bit more solid at the back, which is massive. I think, obviously, we saw Ed Hegerberg come back from that long injury. We saw Caroline Graham Hansen go on an international break and then come back for this tournament. Maram Yelda, as you mentioned, was out for a long time. Uh, Ingrid Engham was out for a while, plays for Barcelona. There's a lot of of really, really talented players here. you know. And even without Caroline Graham Hansen, obviously one of the best players in the world, it feels nuts to be like, even without her. I really like Emily Harvey um who's obviously played a bit for, for Roma this year. Uh, and I, I've really quite liked her when she's made when she's made these appearances, when she's made the bumps. She obviously was part of that side that won Serie A. So it, it's been really exciting seeing her sort of come in and, and, and make a difference in the in the late stage of this. So there's a lot of really good players here. And and I think that when when you kind of put Norway all together, it feels like they didn't do themselves anywhere near justice at the last Euros. And I think that there's a squad here that feels like it's ready to make amends for that and, and I think that that's a, a, a nice place to put them as a dark horse in that they feel like people are writing them off because of what happened last time and suddenly a new Norway could emerge and if that Norway does emerge there is a serious amount of really talented footballers here
2: exactly and like I said I think the experience again is something that I'm going to come down to because that Euros game was just a, I don't know if England were just that good or were Norway that crap? Excuse my language. I think
0: a bit of, I think a bit above. I
2: think it is a bit above, but I think coming into this, you know, you've got um Guru who's coming off a good season with Chelsea, Mannham yeah. coming off a good season with Arsenal. Both of them have won silverware. Um CGH coming off a good season with Barcelona. they their key players are coming off seasons that are kind of expected when you are a player at that top level. Um you then take in the the, the the younger players that are probably being nurtured, newer man, a new manager, new system, new tactics. It'll be interesting to see how they actually get along, because I feel like if they don't do that well in the World Cup, is it then down to the players or is it down to the new manager and the new style and, you know, not having enough time with the players to kind of prepare for it? Or do you just put all the blame on the players and say, well, you know, two 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 competitions in a row, they've kind of not been great? so maybe it's maybe it's change for, it's time for a change of system in the national team it could go either way but for the players that they have um excluding you know off the pitch issues that a lot of nations are having i think out of all the other countries i think they have the biggest argument to be like the, the main the main dark horse
0: yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Um, there are three good dark horses there. Hosts Australia, Japan, who always feel like they could be there or thereabouts, and then this re-emerging Norway side. Uh, right, that's all for part two. But after the break, we are going to be looking at some of the players that you need to be keeping an eye out for across the course of this tournament. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ranked AFC. It's time for part three and some players that you need to be keeping an eye on over the course of this World Cup in Australia and New Zealand over the course of the next month. Mina, who do we need to be keeping an eye on?
2: My first one, and I think it's actually, is if you watch European football, you'll be familiar with her, is Asisat Oshawala, mm. Barcelona's goal scorer, if you, want to, if you want to say it. She's a goal scoring machine. Taking Nigeria to the World Cup, I think out of the four African countries um, going to the World Cup, I think the continent's hopes kind of lie on Nigeria in comparison to Zambia, Morocco and South Africa. Two of those, Zambia and Morocco, making their first ever appearance at a World Cup. Been unlucky with injuries, um, especially like in the later end of the season, but has been important for not just Barcelona, but for Nigeria, she's, you know, taken them to three African Cup Cup of Nations victories. She's won back to back titles um, in China before joining Barcelona, and then went on to win the Champions League with them. Um, I think she's one of the first female African footballers to win a Champions League with Barcelona as well. So that's another factor to play in with only 28. So I think this could be maybe her penultimate World Cup, depending on how injuries work out for her. But if you guys watch her if you watch nigeria just enjoy the quality she brings on the pitch she's a nuisance to the back line causes them problems with her physicality with her goal poaching ability dare i say it she reminds me of a female victor osherman i don't like to compare female footballers to men um but she, it's not only because they're both nigerian either but When I was watching her earlier in the season playing for Barcelona, she does not miss. So for that reason, that's one of my players to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, her numbers this season have been absolutely ludicrous, right? 26 goals in 37 games for Barcelona across the Primera and the Women's Champions League. That's stunning. I mean, this Barcelona side are all conquering. They're amazing. But her ability to put the ball in the back of the net is just almost second to none. It's incredible. It's no wonder that she's been you know, African footballer of the year five times. And she was nominated for the Ballon d'Or last year. So it, this is a serious kind of levels of talent. The question becomes, do Nigeria have the, the kind of squad and, and, and kind of co host around her to, to back that up? Because it can be very interesting to kind of see.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think she's going to, whether or not Nigeria get far in the competition, I'm sure a lot of people will learn about her after this
0: tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's keep rolling on. I'm sure there's loads we've got to get through.
2: <laughs> yeah, number two for me is none other than the the super sub for England, Chloe Kelly. We spoke about her earlier today, but I feel like she needs a honorary mention because of what she's achieved so far in her very young career, but also what she's capable of doing. We saw her as a super sub for England last year at the Euros. I think that's the role she'll definitely um, probably have again at the World Cup. She might not be Happy with that, but I think that's where Serena Weigman will get the best best out of her. I think she offers something different in comparison to Lauren Hamper, Lauren James, who she's going to be, you know, fighting for that for the for those winger spots. But her ability, I think, her playmaking ability really goes underappreciated in comparison to you know what the other wingers are able to do. She's able to take on her fullback just like she is. Uh, the rest are. But, you know, she offers something different. She can cut in. She can create a chance. She can go for goals. She can drive into the box. Um, And she's, again, another person who's a nuisance in the box, which we saw with her winning goal for England in the Euros. So, I, you know, she's, out of all the people that I, ha- I have on my players to watch list, I think she's the only non-starter. So that says a lot about the kind of player that she is because she should be a starter. But England are just so, so stacked that a player like Chloe Kelly will probably be a superstar.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's just such a wonderful footballer. I, I love she scored so many ridiculous long range goals this year. She just keeps like pulling them out of the bag week on week. And it's like, how does she keep doing this? And and where, where does this end? But it feels like when England needs someone to turn to. She's the person that seems to get it done on, on such a regular basis, and look, I'm, I have a, a major soft spot for Chloe Kelly because she comes from the same part of the world as me, and her brothers get their hair cut in the same barber as me. So um, she's she's always going to be high up on the on the list of people I'm willing to give more and more and more love to. But yeah, shouts out Chloe Kelly, uh, shouts out the entire Kelly family, in fact, uh, and hopefully it's another good tournament for Chloe, uh, repping West London out in out in Australia. So represent.
2: The next on my list, which I feel bad because it's taking up a spot, and it's for no, no other reason because she's a legend. Is Marta? I can't talk about <laughs> the World Cup and not talk about Marta.
0: But she is a she is a legend. You, legend. You, why wouldn't you be able to speak about her? Of course.
2: There's two <laughs> players in Marta and uh, Christine Sinclair that will be playing at their sixth World Cup. You know, some people, some footballers, could only dream to play at one or maybe two, but to be playing at yeah. your sixth World Cup. To have, you know, the most goals ever scored in a World Cup competition by men and women. That's, yeah, I have to mention her. I just have to. Whether or not she, you know, has a, she lights up the World Cup. Whether or not Brazil win it, she's been unlucky never to win it. I think her best finish has been second in the World Cup. Similar to, you know, Christine Sinclair, who I just mentioned, who I think finished fourth at one point. Um, But 20 games in the World Cup, 17 goals, 37 years old. Sixth World Cup, a nice bow out story would be that Brazil win it. I'm not sure how likely be that be is. So nice, yeah. Not likely, but that would be you know it's like it's like the Messi winning the World Cup story with Argentina. It's a similar. I wouldn't say similar. She's a similar. She has a similar status, but definitely at World Cup level. You know you don't talk. Of, I remember my earliest memory of watching Women's World Cup. It was Marta's second World Cup. I remember, and that's when I first learned about her. So that says a lot. Um, so for be- just because of legendary status, I'm saying watch Marta because we're watching a a part of history.
0: Oh yeah, I mean I love that she's called Tua Graça in in Brazil. Your grace, and it's just such a just such a wonderful. They call one her the of- queen.
2: They call her a yeah, queen. yeah, literally the uh, queen.
0: But this is it, right? Like this, she has been the, the leading light for Brazil for so long, and, and the I think the the leading light for so many in, in the women's game. Thirty seven years old now, you'd assume that this is her last World Cup. But I mean, weirder things have happened, and the, you know, I also love how Brazil have loads of players who have like really regal nicknames. Isn't Bia Zanarato's nickname the Empress yeah. as well? Like <laughs> they, they're, they're just like, okay, cool. We have all of the other of royalty in the women's game, but. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. And I think, as you say, the winner's medal would be such a beautiful end to an amazing story. I agree. I don't think it's particularly likely. I don't think Brazil come into this as one of the outright favourites. But it's Brazil, our World Cup. So you, you never rule anything out of happening in those regards. And if anyone could make it happen, I think it would wonderfully be Marta again.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Number, I think this is four. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're just
0: we're just rolling through now. Let's we'll not just, keep count. Just, yeah, yeah,
2: let's not keep count. Let's not keep count. For me, is Barbara Banda, Zambian striker. Um, some of you guys who have maybe been watching or, or seen recently scored a screamer against Germany in their last World Cup uh, friendly match. Um, chipped the keeper from about for nearly forty yards out. The keeper was off her line. Chipped the keeper, and I think she's been unlucky in her footballing career. Um, this is Zambia's first ever World Cup so regardless of whether they make out their group or not this will be an iconic moment for Barbara Bandar and, and the team um, she's been unlucky to have controversy around her been unlucky to you know miss AFCON last year um, because of you know reasons um, so for that reason and obviously because of her playing ability I think she would she she will be at the forefront of whatever Zambia do. Even if Zambia get one consolation goal in a group stage match, I think it will come from her. Um, and I do think if Zambia are, are able to create chances, which they've shown in their friendly games leading up to the World Cup, they can. A lot of it is going to be directed uh, to Banda. She's not anonymous. Ever. People know know about her, but of course um, this will be her first moment on on a big stage with Zambia. So I'm hoping that she has a good one too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched all that much of Zambia, although I did watch them play Ireland a couple of weeks ago in, in a friendly and Barbara Rand created the first goal. She was brilliant. Um, she like, hooked it across goal, forced the own goal. It, it was a really, really impressive little bit of play. Um, and and I thought the Zambia were loads of fun, so I'm excited to see what they can bring to this tournament. I, I thought that the, the first half, in particular, they were exceptional. Um, drifted away a little bit in the second, but whether they can if they can keep that up, you know, for for full games, I think they're going to cause problems and headaches for people because going forwards, there's a load of like dynamism about this side, and and I think that there's going to be plenty to to like with, with with what they bring to the table. So I'm, I'm excited to see more of her.
2: No, no, me too. Um, Obviously, I was, I, this is not a player, but just honorary mention for me to Morocco, um, another country who's making their debut at the World Cup. Um, I think a lot of you guys, a lot of people, my, like myself included, are very familiar with the men's team after what they did in Qatar for the World Cup. Yeah. Um, a lot of people might not be familiar with the women's team, only have one player that play in the WSL um, in Ayana that plays at Tottenham Hotspurs. Um, most of their players are made up of players from their local um, North African leagues, which has been a big investment from the from the King of Morocco. You know, he established the the King Mohammed VI Football Academy, which the whole purpose was to develop grassroots products. When you look at the men's team, you see a lot of them are actually born and raised in Europe and then opt to play for Morocco. Whereas when you look at the Moroccan team, a lot of them are born and raised in Morocco and they're a product of direct investment within the country. So... Honorary mention to them. If if I was to say there's one country you should watch, I would say it's Morocco. Debutants at the World Cup, great story behind them. Um, finished runners up at Afcon, hosted you know first North African country last year to host the Women's Afcon. Um, so it, it was unlucky for them to finish as runners up, but I definitely think that they've got they've got they've got a, some heart. They've got some heart. They've got some fight, um, and I think they would want to create history not just for themselves but for you know. We've never seen an uh, an Arab country play in the Women's World Cup. They are the first and hopefully not the last. So hopefully they set kind of the blueprint for other countries to come through. So watch Morocco. That's me talking about them as a whole <laughs> rather than any player individually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's there's not much kind of representation that maybe people will, will recognise um, just across kind of the top, top leagues in Europe. But th- there's definitely some real talent. And, and that run, as you say, in the women's AFCOM was, was like sort of came out of nowhere. But the, the coach, you know, Pedros is an old French international um, who was actually involved in one of France's most iconic ever goals, but it got, yeah. sort of drifted off the radar and then returned back to the top table um, managing this women's team and has done a really, really wonderful job with it. So it's going to be interesting. They create loads of chances, They just don't put them all away. So we're going to see if they can can address that one uh, ahead of this.
2: Yeah. And next up, obviously, I can't not mention players to watch without mentioning Sophia Smith uh, for USA. Mentioned her very briefly when we were talking about the USA. um, Had a great season um, in the league in America for Portland Thorns. Quite young, only 23 um, actually, that's not really young in football in terms. I know 23 is actually quite experienced in football terms, but I think in women's football, 23 is still quite young in terms yeah. of getting that senior experience. Um, nine goals in 13 league matches last season. Um, you know, she's the next in line to the throne for USA. That's what she's dubbed as. So I think this is the tournament to really show you know why you deserve that crown and why do you, why you deserve that um, title. She's a great ball carrier, great passer. She can score. She can uh, create opportunities for for her teammates. So I think in in a, in a U.S. team that has a lot of experience across the whole pitch, I think she could be that standout. Despite the fact that you know she's not that experienced at an international level, um, every U.S. fan that I've spoken to leading up to the World Cup is excited to see her. Um, and when I say, oh, who are you excited to see? People always say Sophia Smith. Um, I don't know if you remember last year, but leading up to the Lionesses in in the Euros, after the Lionesses win, I think Alicia Russo was kind of the face of, of yeah. women's football for England. Um, she had a lot more of a quieter season with Manchester United after the Euros. I think that could be that for sophia smith i think she could be the, the face for usa whether or not if they win it or not i think she could definitely be the face so she's another player to
0: watch i quite like the makeup of this kind of if if, if we call it six forwards for the uswnt you know lynn williams is 30 megan rapino 38 alex morgan's 34. it's like the old guard and then suddenly underneath them you've got sophia smith 23 as you say Alyssa thompson 18 and trinity rodman 21 you're like okay, there's a real sort of three and three here. And it's going to be really interesting to see how how that develops and how they line up. Um, I, I've loved watching Saphir Smith for, for the Thorns. I mean, she was last year's NWSL MVP, as you say. And just her goal-scoring ability from that number nine role has been remarkable. But her ability to also drop deep and link play and make things happen outside the box has been so smart. You know, it's, she's such a lovely player to watch. I'm really intrigued to see how the shift wide looks now i know that she's been doing it with some regularity for the us because alex morgan remains the main threat through the middle but does that take away from from all the things she does or, or is she able to give the best of herself out there I, I think it remains a question if not necessarily an issue
2: yeah and i think like you mentioned that that six options for for usa is like it's kind of like the, the passing of the torch that's what i feel yeah. like it is it's like it's like the the older players passing it on to to the younger players and I think you know a lot of England fans were were not happy with USA's their last run-in with the USA at the World Cup um so I think you look at the more older players the more experienced players I think you know the younger players could definitely take a lot from them we could call it the passing of the torch because essentially that's what that's what it is really
0: Mm, Yeah, I mean, talking to the US, I just shout out to Rose Lavelle, who remains like my favourite player in the entire world. Um, I love her so much. I loved her boots when she released them with New Balance. I love her social media accounts. She's just great. And I just hope that that injury doesn't curtail her tournament too much because her minutes have been so limited. But I I really hope that this is another tournament where she can establish herself. Obviously, scored that ridiculous goal in the final last time out, uh, kind of sort of announced herself on the world stage. And just feels like this was the tournament for her to be like, okay, I'm the main, I'm the main gal for the US now. You know, I'm I, I'm the number 10. The play goes through me, everything. And the injuries just set that off a little bit. So I'm really hoping that Rose can shine again because I think she's great. Basically. A special shout
2: out to USA as well because they had the best uh, promo video announcing their, their squad. Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone's touching USA when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that stuff.
0: Yeah, it's great fun. Great fun. We got any more? Or um, we're done? Last
2: one for me because it can't be. I can't be talking about strikers and not talk about Khadija Bunny Shaw. Yeah. Obviously, Jamaica. I think expectations are not that high for the national team. The reggae girls got great players. I think across you know that that squad that they're bringing, Khadija Shaw lit up the WSL. Will carry Jamaica on her back. Um, finished second in the scoring race, just behind Rachel Daly. Signed an extension with Manchester United, uh, Manchester City. Sorry, um, just before the World Cup, so we'll be seeing her a lot more in the WSL as well. Um, when she comes up against backlines, it's not just her ability to kind of bypass the backline, but it's her ability to kind of know what the defender is going to do before the defender even does it. And I think that's an attribute that a lot of number nines might not have when you look at, you know. Other teams that have strikers, for example, England. I don't think England have a traditional number nine, a player that's an actual out-and-out number nine when we're talking about, you know, goal scorers. I think they have makeshift number nines and players that can play as a 10 and, and whatnot. Alicia Russo, who can drop deep. But a striker who's pure... Um, purely focused on just scoring goals is what Khadija Shaw does and we've seen it with Manchester City we've seen it you know when she's playing with Chloe Kelly Lauren Hemp their ability to get her the ball to her feet and just let her do her job is kind of how she's flourished I think Jamaica will probably aim to do something similar um, a bit more I would say they are experienced in comparison to the lower ranked teams they're not the lowest ranked team coming into this world Cup, yeah. but I think if they do create chances, it will all be through Khadija Shaw. Um, I expect her to score at least one screamer. Just one. Just one. Um, just goodness. one. Just one. But she gets a lot of goals in the box, in that six yard, um, that six-yard box and around the box. I think we talk about players to watch and everything. I'm sorry, this is just me going on a tangent. But I think VAR will be a big part of how the tournament is kind of observed by fans. Um, the last World Cup had so many stoppages because of VAR. Um, I think it, it was, they were averaging two, a penalty every two games, which is, you know, quite unheard of sometimes in a competition. It was less games at the time. So obviously now there's more teams, so there'll be more games in the competition. But they were averaging, the last World Cup had the most penalties in an entire Women's World Cup that we've ever seen. Um, And that was because VAR was introduced. If VAR is going to be used, which we know it will be, I'm hoping that it's used effectively. And the difference is now they will be announcing their reasoning to the fans. So if you watch the Mm. NFL, you know that I think referees do it in the NFL when they make a call. Uh, So they'll be doing something similar. It's a trial um, that they're trying to see how it can be used at international games. And I think with the VAR, Khadija Shaw should be a bit careful, um, just in (laughs) utilizing her physicality and just trying to get a little bite out of the defenders. But other than that, I think she will be kind of a force to reckon with. The only issue is I think there's two issues is that the Jamaican national team have been very unlucky to have a federation that don't support them as much as other federations. There's a GoFundMe link circulating like the internet to kind of fund the Jamaican national team's trip to Australia and New Zealand, which I think no international football team should ever have yeah. to experience given the fact that FIFA are probably giving your football federation money. Um, number one, number two, I think that they're in, what some people are calling the, the group of death because they've got Brazil and France. Um, A lot of other groups don't have two uh, strong teams like that. But they've also got Panama. So maybe that could be uh, a good matchup against them. I think, can they go toe for toe with France and Brazil? Don't know, we're gonna have to wait to see the World Cup is all about, you know, the underdog story sometimes. So everybody loves a good little underdog story. Um, I would have been mad if one of the two bigger teams go out in the group stage. But I want to see kind of great football. And I think Khadija Shaw can definitely give us that.
0: Yeah, she's electric, absolutely electric. And, you know, I think her versatility, right? Yeah, she can, she sometimes drives from wide. She can play through the middle, you know, so speciality and and those differing things where she's happy to drift onto the wings, either wing and, and drive from there into the box gives her that element that she's just very, very unpredictable. And. And that's an incredible thing to have if you're trying to punch upwards, I think, in in a World Cup like this. And I'd imagine there are plenty of Brazil and France defenders currently watching tape and being incredibly worried about how this one might pan out. So, yeah, we will see. But Khadija Sure, definitely one to watch. And with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much to Minna for joining us today on Ranks. i say it's been a real pleasure walking through this World Cup with you, Minna. Where can our audience find you over the course of this World Cup and beyond?
2: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, Tweeting away about the Women's World Cup at Minna Football. And then you can find me on YouTube at Minna Football where I'll be doing a lot of women's world cup coverage and then, you know, Manchester United and other ad hoc stuff. But at the moment my focus is is the Women's World Cup. So you can find me there.
0: We'll put a link to Minna's Twitter and YouTube channel in the description so you can go and have a look. I implore you to do so for some of the best content around the Women's World Cup this summer. Minna, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC's Guide to the Women's World Cup 2023. Thank you so much for listening as ever, and we will see you later on in the week. Take it easy, gang. Peace.